You're listening to Sports Connections with David Smale, the show that brings you a fun and intimate look into connections throughout sports. Now here's your host, David Smale. If you've played or covered Major League Baseball in the last, oh, 40 years or so, you know Mike Swanson and you've benefited from his efforts. However, if you've never stepped foot on a big league diamond or never attended a manager's press conference, but you're a fan of our national pastime, you have benefited from Swanee's expertise even more. Mike's in his 15th season with the Royals uh, as the vice president of communications and broadcasting, his 43rd year in Major League Baseball with the Royals, Arizona Diamondbacks, Colorado Rockies, and San Diego Padres. In his role, he is responsible for everything in communications. Not saying that Major League Baseball wouldn't exist without Mike Swanson, but it is safe to say we wouldn't know as much about it without him. Native of the Kansas City area, Swanee has been around sports his entire life. Besides his roles with Major League Baseball, he served as a television statistician with the late Keith, Keith Jackson on college football. And he's also done Monday Night Football. He shared booth space with some of the top announcers in sports. He's worked six Final Four, six Super Bowls, four NFC Championship games, five Sugar Bowls, six Cotton Bowls, three Fiesta Bowls, the BCS title game, and probably his favorite, 23 Maui Invitationals. We managed to catch up with him while the Royals were on the road, and one of his great staff members was with the tr- with the team. Swanee, welcome to Sports Connections. Well, thanks. I, uh, I I'm impressed with how much I've gotten to do when you list it off like that. <laughs> I was getting ready to sing in a partridge in a pear tree. But there you go. There you go. Well, now this has got to be different for you. You're used to setting up and hosting interviews, not being the subject. So I hope you can enjoy this side of it, but I want you to talk about your growing up years. You were connected with Major League Baseball and pro football early on. What are your first, your earliest memories? Well, it's, it's going to blow your mind when I tell you my earliest memories, but uh, walking up the hill at 22nd in Brooklyn with my dad and mom holding my hand to go to the uh, 1960 All-Star game that was played at Municipal Stadium. Uh, my mom worked for the A's back in the late 50s, early 60s, and uh, I, 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 vividly remember as, as a kid of six years old would remember tripping and falling and uh, my knee bled through the entire all-star game. But, uh, you know, to get to hang around municipal stadium back in the day with the, oh, George yeah. the world and Henry wheat and people like that, that, uh, that operated that ballpark. And and my mom was uh, ceremoniously dumped by Charles Finley, like uh, Charles Finley did to a lot of people throughout his uh, ownership career and uh, unceremoniously dumped, I should say. And uh, fortunately, because of the group that had been put together that worked for the A's, the Chiefs the very next year uh, made the move from the Dallas Texans to Kansas City. And they were looking for a bunch of people who may have known something about running a sports operation. So yeah. Jackson hired basically the, uh, the crew that had just been let go by Charlie Finley. So our family life morphed from baseball over into the NFL and or the AFL at the time with the Chiefs. So my mom got a job with the Chiefs and was there for uh, well over 30 years, uh, eventually working up in the coaching office for about the last 20 plus years. You know, it's we've done a lot of different things with it, but our background sounds similar. I I tell people I could count to 720 before I started kindergarten because that's how many cards were in a baseball card set. 721 was irrelevant. I didn't need to know where to put 721. There wasn't a card number 721. And I learned to read. In fact, I've joked with Ryan Lefevre about this. I learned to read by reading baseball cards. And early on in his tenure with the Royals, I walked up to him one time and I said, hey, next time you talk to your dad, tell him thanks. And he said, 
okay, for what? I said, he taught me how to read. And he <laughs> kind of looked at me funny and he said, that's interesting. He didn't teach me. My mom did that. And I said, well, I learned to read by reading baseball cards. And I got stuck on Jim Lefebvre. And he goes, tell me about it. I was in third grade before I could spell it. But I said, my mom convinced me that not everything is phonetic. And once I got past that, I learned to read. So about two weeks later, I walked, I was standing there watching batting practice and he walks up, puts his arm around me, goes, dad says you're welcome. So <laughs> our, our backgrounds were, were very similar. I want to ask you about your playing background. Were you an athlete? And what sports did you focus on growing up? Oh, I, I was a wannabe. Yeah. And uh, I mean, I, I played baseball every year of my youth. Uh, in fact, my dad had had been transferred to Miami, Florida back in the mid 60s. I was in my 12, 13 year old years and uh, got to play baseball in Miami, which I found out. Oh, wow. Was a little more competitive than baseball up here in Ray, good old Raytown, Missouri. And that's not a slap at Raytown. It's just there's some baseball players down in Miami area. And uh, it, it made me a better player, but uh, I still wasn't good enough. I, I was thrilled when I got to come home one day and and we, we had a, I was very fortunate the neighborhood we lived in, we had a hell of a team and uh, uh, we won our title and, and I was part of the all-star team. And I'll always look back because that's the one all-star team that I, I actually made as a third baseman. And, and, uh, and then we came back to Kansas city and I, I didn't quite fit in as well. You know, teams were already being formed. I was battling a little bit to try to get back into the swing of, of playing ball up here and I love to play basketball. Uh, went to Raytown High School, played my sophomore year. Um, I, I, I like football, but uh, all through high school, I was working for the Chiefs uh, in, in the locker room. So, you know, either go out and get hit or just, you know, pick up dirty laundry after practice <laughs> and wash it and put it back in their lockers and get to travel with, you know, the Super Bowl champions. Okay, I'll do that. So, you know, I did that through high school. Uh, played golf in high school. Uh, still love the sport of golf uh, passionately. If my body will allow me to play it, I've got some back problems right now, but it's uh, kind of where I center all my relaxation time around when I get it, especially in the off season. And then uh, uh, because of Denny Matthews, the uh, the problem child that he's always been, uh, he introduced me to hockey. And so uh, my first lap through Kansas City before I left in 1984. I was uh, skating with him and the boys uh, all over the Kansas City area, including Kemper Arena a few times. So um, I, I love to be an athlete, and it's probably why I have a bad back right now and a bad <laughs> everything else, but it was worth it. It was it was an awful lot of fun, uh, you know, being active. And, you know, as, as I tend to tell people, the curveball made me a typist. Uh, when I realized <laughs> that uh, the baseball didn't come straight all the time and it had a little wrinkle in it and I couldn't put my bat on it. If I wanted to work in uh, baseball or pro sports, I better figure out another way to do it. And I did. There you go. Yeah, I, I say that, you know, not being able to hit a curveball kept me from playing baseball very far beyond the fact that I couldn't hit a fastball either. So why, why baseball? I, you obviously have a lot of interests beyond baseball. Why did you choose baseball as a career? Well, this is, this is another funny story. I mean, it's uh, it's not out of the book of uh, it's diagram for how you lay out your life. But uh, while I was, as I like to say, washing jocks for the Chiefs, um, you know, through my formative years in high school and and Coach Stram loved me. Um, it was a great place for me to, to grow. I learned more, David, than you could possibly imagine in the civil rights era uh, with a lot of African-American athletes 
uh, stories that someday I may do a book and, and it'll be very important to a lot of people, I think, because um, I learned a lot. I mean, I was some dumb kid from Raytown, Missouri, who, you know, just lucked into this job and then to be around the Willie Lanier's and the Emmett Thomas's and Buck Buchanan's. I mean, I could go down the whole list and I learned a ton. Um, but ultimately I was working in the same building that my mom was working in. And there's just this little sense of manhood pride that you have. And you're like, <laughs> you know, at some point I got to find something else to do. I mean, I, I probably could have cut out a life in the chiefs because Bob Springer was just taken over in PR and I got to be friends with Bob and, and he liked me. He had me do the press box PA for their, uh, home games in, in Arrowhead. And, uh, and so I was always around. I was like an errand boy there. And I was asked one day by George Toma, God bless him, who uh, he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I said, well, I, I need to, I want to work in sports, but I think I need to cut the cord with mom. And uh, he introduced me to Bob Weirs over at the Royals in 1972, the winter of 72 into 73. And it was the same time they were moving from municipal stadium to then Royal stadium. Right. Bob was looking for some muscle. And if you look at me, you'd be muscle, you you know, like, really. <laughs> but uh, they were looking for some people to help them move everything that they officed uh, at municipal and wanted to move over to Royals. So he asked me to help out. I did made a couple of bucks. He says, what are you doing this summer? I said, I'm, you know, nothing until I, you know, start college this fall. He says, why don't you intern with us? He says, seemed like you got a good head on your shoulders, this, that, and the other. Next thing I know, I'm doing research and statistics and game notes as an 18, soon to be 19-year-old in the Royals front office. I ended up parlaying that into six years in the 70s with the Royals, the last three of which they went to the playoffs, six, seven, and eight. Right. And, uh, you know, I got to know that whole group of what we now call their greatest alumni group ever, you know, of of George and AO and, you know, everybody, big John, I don't want to leave anybody off, but you know how many guys were on those clubs. Sure. Sure. Um, but it really, that lit the fire that baseball was where I wanted to be. Um, it was a sport that played every day. It was a sport that I, cause I, as, as you see me in the press box, you know, the nights that uh, maybe I'm not approachable and there's nights where I am, <laughs> and it's all based on what the score of the ball game is. And, and I think I love that so much because when my mom lost four in a row working for the Chiefs, that took a month. And if we were to lose four in a row working for the Royals or any team in baseball, you're not even through a week. And I love that competitive aspect of it. Since I couldn't play it, uh, being competitive in my role is just as much fun. And, and I love that part. So it, it stuck with me. I want to transition a little bit. Some of my favorite times covering the Royals, and I've been a part of that since since uh, Doug Tucker asked me to help him out back in 99. Um, but some of my favorite times are just the casual conversation, standing around players, just, just chatting, you know, putting the recorder away, not talking about tonight's game or the next game or the hitting streak they're on or the slump they're in or anything like that. And I Many of those memories, Swanee, are you joining in with some of them because you've been a part of them for, for so many years. What are some of your favorite memories from 43 years in the game? David, I, I this podcast would have to be put on like a six-day show. If, if, uh, <laughs> okay, give me your top five. But, but you know, um, I'll tell you one, one that stands out more than any, then I'll get into a couple others, but... Uh, in 2001, uh, when I was with Arizona, 
Uh, we're about to play game six of the World Series, and, and we had lost three straight in Yankee Stadium. Anybody remembers that World Series? We had leads in every game. We could have swept the Yankees and had our parade and the whole bit, but we got beat all three nights in Yankee Stadium and uh, came home to play game six, and Andy Pettit's about to pitch against us in game six. And Steve Finley, our center fielder, right after batting practice, came flying into the clubhouse and said, everybody in the video room, we're going to have a meeting. Well, obviously, I wasn't invited to the video room but when they came out I'm like really curious what just happened yeah, you know, yeah. Went on. and he had spotted Andy Pettit tipping his pitches he had he had found something in the video where Pettit was tipping his pitches and he pointed it out to all the teammates I think we won the ball game 15 to 2 or 15 to 4 something like that and it got us to a game seven and then game seven was what it was but oh yeah you know, to be in the clubhouse and be part of that um, to see that happen unfold right in front of you. It's just one of those memories, obviously, but 20, exactly 20 years later, it still sticks with me. Um, I, I watched Tony Gwynn in, in San Diego before video was even thought of. I mean, here I tell a video story with Steve Finley about tipping pitches. You know, now guys are sitting on the bench looking at an iPad to look at their last at bat and see what pitch they missed. <laughs> yeah. Things yeah, well, there was no such thing as video back in the 80s and uh, other than what was on television. And Tony Gwynn had every game recorded from the TV production. And then he would sit in his locker and he'd run a reel-to-reel of wow. watching. And anybody who hears this and doesn't know what a reel-to-reel is, yeah, is very, really. doesn't, doesn't have to be that young a person, really. But uh, um, run a reel-to-reel and he'd be running it back and forth to see, you know, to see where his hands were and to see where his eyes were. And I mean, it was no accident. Tony Gwynn was literally one of the greatest hitters of all time because of what he did and to watch that in the clubhouse. And then, you know, just the basics, uh, you know, you don't, you never cross the path of a, of a bear when, uh, when he's about to attack. Well, you never walk in front of Randy Johnson when he's putting in the clubhouse on the day that he, (laughs) Uh, just stay out of the way, let Randy do his pregame thing and know that when he gets out on the mound, if you wonder why he looks like one of the meanest human beings you ever want to be around for that day, um, it's a buildup of how he starts his morning, works it through the whole afternoon, and he gets he is so amped up by the time he hits the mound. Um, yeah, I wouldn't want to have a bat and stand in there <laughs> against him either. But, you know, to, to be a part of that and witness that for all the years, and then I'm sure I could come up with more, but – that's just, you know, those are just things that you get to be a part of and it's, it's, you get to witness firsthand. Yeah. And, and actually that was the, the year that I met you um, when you were with Arizona and I was working for the fellowship of Christian athletes. And, and I talked to you about getting Kurt Schilling for an interview. And I don't even remember if we did, I don't even remember if we ended up doing that interview, but I remember, you know, I was trying to figure out the best way to do it. And somebody said, just go talk to Swanee, like Swanee. What? (laughs) And, and I remember, and I'm not just blowing smoke here. I remember thinking, man, if every team had a PR guy, like that guy, my job, and especially people who did it full-time, because my full-time job was to be the PR director for FCA. And I did this other thing on the side, but our job would be a whole lot easier. So I remember how, how, you were Amos Otis in the press box. Does that make sense? <laughs> I, I don't know. Uh, maybe. I'm not sure. Seamless. It, you, you were working really hard, and it, and people wonder how you took it so easy. You know? Yeah, well, 
You know what? And in, in all seriousness about that, I, I, I like to, I really enjoy the job. I really, truly, you know, some days are better or worse than others, but job itself. I mean, you, you know, you, you bust your tail for however many hours a day to get ready for seven o'clock, but at seven o'clock you get a payoff with a baseball game and you do it 162 times. And I travel quite a bit. I'm not on this trip and I'm not going to be on the next one, but I'm going to be on most of the second half trips. And you know, your payoff of all the work you do all day is, is a baseball game. That's pretty cool payoff. So, you know, if somebody asks you to do something, you do what you can to accommodate them because you might be the linchpin. And whether it was, you know, it, my money says, David, that I doubt Kurt did it because Kurt didn't end up being one of my all-time favorite players. I mean, he's not a terrible human being, but he uh, he would say yes a lot. And then when it came time to, you know, come to the post and run the race, uh you know, sometimes I had to find him and sometimes I couldn't find him. And, and so, you know, I, I can't say right or wrong, whether he did it or not, but uh, I know the effort was put in because that was our job. That was my job. And, and it's still my job. And it, it's the, the guys who try to make this job difficult. And when the first inclination on a request is the word, no, you're, you're not putting your ball club in a very good light. Uh, you know, your first inclination should always be at least maybe. And in a lot of, in a lot of requests, it should just be yes and get it done. But, you know, so I have had to say maybe a lot. I've had to say no before. But, you know, sometimes it's just the request is such that you can't follow through. But um, you really want to make an effort because you're representing your baseball team. And my job is to have everybody outside our building fall in love with our players, whatever team I'm with. And I have one responsibility there, and that's to make sure these guys get heard and be seen. So, you know, you ask me to do something, we're going to try to do it. And that was my recollection, is, is you said, I, I'm not going to promise. I don't know if he'll want to do it, but let me try. And that's the thing I took away from, this guy's really going to try. So uh, that's, that's cool. Let's talk about some of the people in the game. I know it's, it's, you know, you only have the one daughter, so it's easy to pick your favorite kid. But, you know, it's like I was talking to somebody else today who had six kids and, and she, she said, when I asked a similar question, she said, oh, sure. And you want me to follow up with which of the six is my favorite? Um, pick some of your favorite players, 43 years, 40 guys on the roster. That's a lot of people. Give me maybe your top four or five guys that you have developed that relationship with beyond PR guy player. You know what I'm saying? Well, but yeah, back in the 70s, I mean, I'll, I'll go all the way back there with, with George because we were, you know, he's just a year older than I am. Um, so that makes us both very old now. But uh, <laughs> Careful, uh, you're not very much older than I am. So no, uh, I, but I'm, I'm still ahead. Yeah, and, and I'm, I'm not, I might be gaining on you from a fractional standpoint, but I'm not going to catch you. So anyway, George Brett, go ahead. Yeah, George, I mean, George and I just, you know, we hit it off back in the day and, and uh, remained friends throughout. And, uh, you know, he, he just, he was just normal guy who happened to be one of the greatest players to ever put on a uniform. Um, one of my better friends in the game who it's really against all policy to hang out with players, be perfectly honest with you. But uh, Larry Walker came on board in Colorado in 95 and, his former PR guy in Montreal text or didn't text, called me. I'm thinking here. No, he didn't text back then. Uh, <laughs> called me and told me that Larry was going to chase me down. 
because he knew he was signing with us at Colorado. And so after the lockout, sure as heck, I get a phone call. Hey, is this this guy they call Swanee? And I go, yeah. He says, this is Larry Walker. So I'm over at this place here in Tucson. Uh, uh, come meet me. I didn't even know for sure if we were signing him. And I show up and had a drink with him and dinner. And uh, he's yeah, the press conference is tomorrow. GM's going to tell you in a couple hours. <laughs> <I'm> like, <"Okay."> <laughs> <laughs> and we ended up we ended up being friends. We had a lot in common. Uh, I loved hockey. He was played hockey. The Avalanche moved to Denver the first year he was there, so he bought season tickets. We were there all the time. Uh, he was part of my engagement to my wife, Renee, um, in Hawaii. He brought his girlfriend at the time to Hawaii and was part of this plan we had of getting how I was getting engaged. It was it was fun. Uh, but but Walk, uh, aside from being a fabulous baseball player, is a fabulous human being, a very caring guy. And uh, and we still stay in touch to this day. I couldn't be happier that he's uh, going in the Hall of Fame. Uh, Tony Gwynn, who's literally the only player to this point in my life that I've gone to see uh, actually get inducted into the Hall of Fame because, again, Tony was just one of those. He's just a normal person who happened to be great at what he did. And uh, I love Tony to death. Uh, it's so, such a loss that we lost him at such a young age. But uh, in the winter, Tony did nothing. We had one thing in common. Uh, he didn't, didn't want to do anything but play golf in the winter. And so we'd go to Palm Springs and I had a friend up at PGA West at the time. And this is a Tony Gwynn story that just just describes Tony Gwynn. He threw a dozen bats in the car. Uh, We were staying up at La Quinta. We're going to play 36 holes of golf each day for two days and then drive back to San Diego. And he threw a dozen bats in the car. And while we were having lunch between 18s, he signed a bat to everybody in the clubhouse who had helped put together our little trip up there. Wow. Gave it to him. That's just who Tony Gwynn was. Um, Luis Gonzalez in Arizona, uh, one of the funniest human beings I've ever met and one of the uh, uh, one of the nicest people you'd, you'd ever want to put in a big league uniform. And, and then the group that we have here right now, I mean, from from the group that won the World Series in 14 and 15 and, and went to the World Series in 14. Uh, you know, again, I'm going to leave out names and it's it's unfortunate, but uh, there's you know, from Haas to Moose, Salvi, who's still here, Danny Duffy, to watch him grow. I mean, look, at the, the age differential now, it's not a hangout thing. It's not a friend's thing. It's a professional thing. Right. But you can't help but love these guys as your sons. Uh, you mentioned that I just have the one child, and, and it's a it's a girl. She's a girl. But uh, but these guys, you know, I've, I've got a lot of age on them and a lot of experience on them, but they are – it's been fun watching them grow up and, and become men and great baseball players. And I think I know who the, it's going to be one of two people. I'm going to guess ahead of time, best player you ever worked with. Wow. Um, some of the names I've already given you, it, it's going to be, that, that would be a hard best, best, best baseball player or best, person who is a player i mean that's well, a, i would say yeah we already talked about some of the best people okay so the best, best, best people man that's that's that, there's a top 10 there i mean larry walker and i was fighting like crazy to make sure he got some votes for the hall of fame through you know just and look i didn't get him elected to the hall of fame that's not my point but you know i was a twittiot about it uh you know twittering all over the place about his career because for the three years we were together other than nights we played against Barry Bonds back pre all the alleged stuff. Right. 
Larry Walker was the best player on the playing field that night, every night. He would do something every night that would make you go, wow, what an athlete. So from him to Randy Johnson, who was quite frankly, he's a PR guy's dream and nightmare all in one. (laughs) He keeps you so sharp and so busy because every night there's a record being set. Every night he's, he's striking out some abundant number of players. Um, he rewrote a record book one night against Cincinnati when he struck out 20 in nine innings, but he wasn't going to get credit for it because the game went 10 innings. So they had to rewrite the record, most strikeouts in a nine inning game and in over nine innings of a game so that he could be included with Kerry Wood um, and Roger Clemens. Uh, you know, to watch him perform every fifth day was, was an honor, quite frankly. To watch Tony Gwynn get in a batter's box every night was an honor. And to watch what he did, he wasn't flashy about anything, but just look at his total numbers. Mm-hmm. George Brett, I mean, to watch him develop as a youth. And I wasn't even around for when he hit for nearly hit 400 and all that. But, you know, to be around those kind of athletes and to be able to be on the inside and set up their agendas for the day with the media or anything else that was going on. Um, and be able to watch them perform, it's just, it was phenomenal. See, I would have guessed that it would be either George or Tony Gwynn, but certainly you can't go wrong with, with Larry Walker or Randy Johnson or probably any, any number of, of people. I want to change gears again. And, and I, like you, sometimes pinch myself when I think all the hard work I do, I get paid to sit in the press box and watch baseball. In fact, after after the 14 and 15 postseasons, I had friends ask me, you know, they knew I covered all the home games, didn't get to go to any of the road games, but covered all the home games and 16 games over two seasons. And they said, did you make a lot of money? And I said, first of all, you don't get into journalism to make money. Two, I'm a freelancer. So the answer to your question is no, not at all. But if you count what I would have had to pay to sit where I sat to watch World Series games, and those of us who grew up in Kansas City didn't really think we'd ever see it again, to be honest. I, I think there were an awful lot of us media guys who are like, I can't believe I'm here. But when you count how much I would have had to pay to sit where I sat, I probably made 25 grand <laughs> over those two years. So I'm gonna, here's kind of a, a teaser question. Why is opening day so special? Well, Countless reasons. What I said earlier about there's a game every day that draws you to the sport. And then all of a sudden, whatever day your last game of the year is the season before, whether it's September 30th or November 1st, the dry spell between that day and the next game is incalculable. I mean, it, it, it drives you crazy. You you want, I mean, we have phases in our years and in our lives, uh, and, and it's timed at home. I mean, my wife and daughter know it. Um, season ends, we'll go on vacation, we'll relax a little bit, and this is pre-COVID, obviously. Um, we'll relax a little bit, uh, we'll do some things as a family, celebrate New Year's. As old people now, I'm in bed long before midnight. <laughs> so I'll wake up the next morning, it'll be a new year. Um, but, uh, then you start planning on spring training, then spring training arrives. Uh, 
you can't wait to get to camp. Then you can't wait for the first workout. And then you can't wait for the first exhibition game. Then you can't wait to break camp and get the opening day. And you put all that in a big ball and whatever your record was the season before opening day, you're zero and zero. And as a PR person, as somebody who's in the bunker, if you will, with all these athletes, you may see things a little differently than the cynics in New York or the cynics in LA or the critics or whoever. Yeah. yeah. You see them maybe with a little more heart than you do with your head. And you can't wait to get to opening day and see these guys perform. And maybe, maybe some days they're not as good as, as you wish they were, you think they were, but then you break a camp like we just broke this spring and you come out and yeah, okay, we're just, you know, we're three weeks into the season. Okay. And that's what everybody's saying right now about the Royals is they're only three weeks into the season, but the guys who I thought could play pretty good baseball are playing pretty good baseball. Yeah. It's my job a lot more fun. And to see what we did on opening day just this past year, it, it just it gives you hope and it makes you fall back in love with the game again. And, you know, when you get to my point in life where it's no secret, I mean, I'll be 67 this summer and, and uh, this is year 43 of this. Um, you don't know how much longer you want to do it, but man, they light that fire on opening day and it does make it special because it, it just it. It, it gets a fire lit right underneath you and you're ready to roll again. And 162, it sounds, it sounds encumbering. It's not, it's a yeah. baseball game every day and it's work, but you, you really truly enjoy, you know, that work. Last year was awful for the fans, for the media. I'm sure for you, how did you get through a regular season that was so different? Not only was it shorter, but everything was done through Zoom, you know, the protocols, the bubble, all that stuff. How did you get through all that? I, honestly, David, I, I, I don't even know. I mean, I, <laughs> I, you, you just have to hear the rules. I mean, it took you back to school. You know, here's, here's the rules. Be on time. You have to be here. You have to be there. Here's where class starts. Don't be late. That's how the protocols were. I mean, we were – you know, we, we were, I've told a ton of people this, we stay in some of the nicest hotels in the country. Uh, we were in a Four Seasons, we were in Ritz's, we were in, you know, you name it. But you wouldn't know it after a couple of days because we couldn't have housekeeping to our room. We never got our, we didn't have enough towels some days, you know, you had to call down for more towels. They'd show up in a paper bag uh, at your door. Uh, you couldn't have any interaction with any of the hotel employees. You couldn't obviously leave the hotel except to go to the ballpark. You were tested constantly. Um, and, and there was a genuine fear. I mean, this was before we had the vaccination, you know, and there's genuine fear that, and, and I had this, I had this self-inflicted fear. And I told my wife and daughter this one, I said, I said, my biggest fear right now is that I shake the wrong hand or say hi to the wrong person. And the headline in the Kansas City Star reads, PR guy takes down entire Royals team. <laughs> because I'm on the bus with them. I'm in the clubhouse with them. You know, we're eating food together in the banquet rooms of the hotel. And I'm of an age where I might be a little more susceptible to catch this thing than somebody else. And, and I mean, I, so whatever the P's and Q's were that we had to follow, I followed them in triple time. You know, I, I locked myself. I'm not that guy. Uh, in my career, who's locked himself in his hotel room, even at my advanced age. I mean, I'll go 
find a nice little corner pub to have a burger and a beer and relax and watch another sporting event when we have a free night or something. That didn't exist. And uh, so to say it was fun, the only thing you literally had, you know, I talked about at seven o'clock, you had a ball game. That's literally the only thing we had to look forward to every day was, was the ball game because everything, the other 21 hours were a real annoyance, you know, but then you had to put in perspective also that we were at least able to function and perform our duties and put baseball games on for fans to watch because the rest of the world was having, you know, uh, our country was having a really difficult time and the rest of the world was having a really difficult time. So you have to perspective everything. And, you know, the fact that we were able to at least be out of the house and be able to be at the ballpark and be able to, to do our jobs to a point. Uh, my only regret was I wasn't the guy who invented zoom. You know. <laughs> yeah. You would have been able to retire uh, for sure with yeah. that. Now, I want to ask you something personal here. At the end of last year, the Kansas City chapter of the Baseball Writers Association of America gave you the Good Guy Award for your outstanding effort, not just in 2020, but through the years. Think back to how that made you feel, and without choking up, tell us what comes to mind. <laughs> you, you know, it, it's hard not to choke up. I was, uh, you know, Flanny, Flanny texted me and said, Jeff, Jeff Flanagan texted me, about 20 minutes before the game and said, Hey, I need you to come to the press box. Uh, I want you to look at something. And I, you do the eye roll and I'm like, you know, okay, whatever. And I come up and uh, that's a real nice attitude for an alleged good guy. Right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but I come up and I, I know what it is. He, he mentioned the good guy award and I, you know, he wants me to bring it down. And so I'm going to hand this thing to Whit Merrifield or Mike Matheny, who is ridiculously awesome last year yeah and has been again this year but um in in accommodating all the needs with all the lockdowns we had but wit or salvi or you know whoever and he says hey open it up and take a look at it and i opened it up and it had my name on it and and yeah i lost it i mean i i really lost it. i uh i i don't do this for the accolades i and i said that at the time um my staff my God, they, they should, you know, each get a piece of it because this was a team effort last year by every measure. Um, I'm just fortunate to be the leader of it and to be thought of that way by the, you know, cause you don't know, David, you, you don't know you, you're doing it your way, but are you doing it the right way? And I only know my way and, and good, bad, or indifferent. Um, were we getting it right? And when you're handed something like that and it, it was an actual vote and people said, you're the guy, um, it, it, it made not only last year pay off, but it made the first 42 pay off. It just, um, you know, I, I, the silly person I am, I, I posted on Facebook and my God, some of my friends uh, around baseball got a hold of it and, uh, you know, said some incredible things and it just, it, it, it lets your head blow up for just a minute, you know, but then all of a sudden there'll be somebody that'll bring you right back down to earth. Cause that's, that's what the world is. And that's fine. I, I belonged with both feet planted on earth, but. Uh, and there's but, also a game at seven o'clock. There was also a game at seven o'clock too. Yeah. But it was, uh, it was, it was an incredible feeling. You, Cause again, you don't, it was, it was like, now oh, here I toot my own horn again. When I got the call that I was voted into the Raytown school district hall of fame, I mean, 
my first inclination was, it, 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 had they checked my grades or did the school burn, <laughs> school burn down with the record section, you know, or something. And, but then, you, you know, you get to do a speech and everything. And I look out and I see my wife and daughter and, you know, I, I lose it because yeah. more for my wife raising our daughter while I was on all those road trips in her formative years, um, I wouldn't be up here. And it just, it's, it's, it's amazing how much of a family effort. So, you know, I'm going to take this one step further since you've brought me into modern, you know, into being modeling about this whole thing. The fact that our ball club allowed my wife and daughter to travel through the whole 14 and 15 postseason, and everything that they don't get to be a part of all season long, except watch me leave in the morning and come back at night or leave on a Sunday and come back two Mondays later the fact they got to actually be a part of every pitch and everything we did during those two postseasons. If you can't fall in love with this organization, you get, you got problem. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, every January, I always look forward to your Facebook post of you teeing off on some gorgeous hole somewhere in Hawaii. And by the way, I become jealous all over again, but how special is golf in your life? Well, let's see. I got my, <laughs> Got my Maui golf shirt on right now. Uh, it, it, you know what? It's an escape for me, and that's yeah. why I'm, I'm. I'm. You're talking to a guy who's kind of bummed right now because I just got these little back issues. I had back surgery in December, and things aren't uh, things aren't moving as swimmingly as I'd like. Uh, but uh, it's it's literally it's a great escape for me. Uh, whether I'm playing alone or whether I'm playing in a group of uh, friends of mine or if I'm out in Maui alone and pick up three strangers, you know, they had room for a fourth in the group. Um, I, I love the game. I love being able to uh, still play it at my age and play it. Okay. And uh, I love the, I love the courses. I mean, we do go to Maui. Uh, we've been doing it since I did the basketball tournament all those years. And, and uh it's kind of we're going to plan on going next January again, and we're going right after the P we're going the week of the PGA tournament out there, and then we're going to stay uh, for a couple of weeks after that, and hopefully get on uh, the plantation course, which I'm very spoiled to say I played over a hundred times, and um, plan on playing it some more, you know, starting in January. But it's 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 a re it's how I relax and. Uh, you know, I, I don't take swings at anybody at the ballpark uh, for the mere fact that I get my butt kicked after the first swing. Um, so I put a little white ball on a tee, and if somebody got under my skin that day, I might put their name on that ball but uh, with a Sharpie. But then I'll hit it as hard as I can and, and chase it, and it's, it's relaxing for me. Well, I, I won't ask you how many times my name has been on the little white ball, but uh, I, I do get jealous every year, but I'm glad you have that escape. Uh, getting close to the end here, I, I know you'll have this answer ready because you have mentored so many young people and, and your coaching tree, as we like to call it in sports, you got people all over Major League Baseball and probably other sports as well. So the question is, what advice do you give someone just starting out in this business? Um, you know, it's, 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 there's a lot of layers to that question. Um, First and foremost is the dedication part. Um, I, I, I know a lot of people want to be in pro sports. Um, I've got a 22-year-old in the house right now who's graduating from KU with a sport management degree. And 
And because of what she's watched her old man do for every day of her life, uh, she, she thinks she wants to do this. But um, and I hope she does. Uh, I want her to follow in my footsteps because I think she'd be great at it. But the hardest part of that is the dedication it takes to actually do it. This is not a, you know, I, I say the payoffs at seven o'clock with a ball game. Uh, it's all the days wrapped up together and all the hours wrapped up in that day to get to the ball game. And it's not for everybody. Um, you know, I, I, I'm pseudo ashamed, but it's the way of the world, you know, to say that I'm, you know, didn't meet somebody who wanted to put up with this lifestyle until I was 42 and then uh, at 44, we, you know, we had a child and that's getting, that's getting a little long in tooth there to, to be taking on those responsibilities after being established as a bachelor and single and not having to answer to anybody for a lot of years. <laughs> and um, we can leave it there. <laughs> but yeah, but it's exactly, but you just, uh, uh, you have to find somebody who's willing to put up with this lifestyle and first and foremost, uh, and then, you know, my goal is going to be, it has been, and it will continue to be, um, try to leave the business in a little better shape than you found it. And technology is helping out a lot with that. But uh, my goal is to make sure the players are accountable, to make sure that uh, the fans get to hear what the players think, what the manager thinks before and after every game, um, and and have them have a sense of accountability and a sense of pride in the organization they play in. And so those are things that I try to pass down to other people. Um, and the other part is, and it goes against something I told you earlier in the podcast, but uh, the players and the people you work around every day, um, don't want to sound harsh, but they're not your friends. You know, they're not your drinking buddies. They're not your, uh, you know, the, the world has changed a lot. Uh uh, to be perfectly honest, most of them are millionaires or millionaires in waiting, and they've got their friend core. They've got their group of people they're going to hang out with. Just keep professional. Do your job. Um, don't take no for an answer when a player kind of gives you the scowl, like, I don't want to do that or anything. Uh, you kind of got to be a little straightforward and say, look, this is important. It's important that our fans hear your, hear your voice tonight. Um, and so, you know, those are little things. And, and just – Make sure you love the sport. Make sure if you're going to do this for your living, that you're doing it for the right reason. If, if you don't love baseball or you don't love football, you don't love basketball, whichever sport you go into, if you don't love it, you're just doing it because you want a business card that says you work for the Kansas City Royals, find, find something else. It's not worth it. Get that card printed up somewhere anyway and walk around and act like you do. <laughs> love it. Love it. Be, be passionate about what yeah. you're doing. And, and that's the biggest thing is I've, I've always felt like I was passionate about this job. Um, you see me scowl at official scores on a given night um, over a call. And that's my passion coming out because I want it right. I want that hit. I want that air. I want whatever, you know, is supposed to happen. And, and I, I want people who have come down my learning tree, if you will, to have that same passion for the sport and put in, put in the years and put in the work. And if they do, I think at the end of the day, when you look back on the career, you're going to say, you know, you did everything as hard as you could and you loved it. Uh, I'll, I'll have zero. Whenever I decide to walk from this, I will have zero regrets because I, I have gotten to enjoy every phase of it. All right. Wrap up with three, three personal questions that really don't have much to do with, uh, with baseball or even with your job. First of all, what, 
I know what's on the top of your bucket list and that's to attend the masters. Cause it always happens to happen during baseball season, but so you want to attend the masters. What else is on your bucket list? Oh my goodness. Um, my bucket's about empty already. It's, uh, <laughs> um, I, 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 you know, David, that's, that's a great question. I, it's, it's, I've been so fortunate. I can't say I want to be, I mean, I want to win another world series, but you know, I I have zero control over that. Um, What I, what I think I might have control over will be someday to, to attend a masters and, you know, walk those Hills of Augusta and God forbid, if anybody knew somebody that could get me on the next day and let me play that course. And I I would take that bucket list up one more stride, (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I, I truly, when I talked a minute ago about not having regrets, uh, um, you know, I, I want to watch. I really am excited about what my daughter's going to do with her life uh, as soon as she walks the hill here on May 16th. And then, uh, and then, you know, at some point my wife and I are going to settle down and, and we'll see how long she can tolerate me being in the house every day. Um, that may not last very long. <laughs> you may be greeting at Walmart, for just yeah, yeah. not for the income, but for the for, to, to just help Renee. So yeah, so I could very easily be uh, be working again very soon. If we, <laughs> walk away. But um, you know, I I I just uh, whatever was left in my life, I want to enjoy it. You know, I want to. I I don't want to do. 14 hour days forever, but right now I love it still. Um, but it's, uh, whatever's left. I, I think watching my daughter grow up since I didn't get to spend a lot of time around her in her younger years, um, which is my fault, my doing, but, uh, fortunately she, she loves sports and she's the son we'll never have. Um, cause she's, she's, she's been around it her whole life now and, and loves to be a part of it. So, um, I can't say I have a lot out there. I, we're not going to be world travelers, um, though we do have a ton of Marriott points, and a ton of airline points and things like that. But uh, I, I don't really have much desire in, in our current climate to go to Europe or anything like that. So my bucket list is going to be a pretty, pretty easy one because I've, I've had, you know, I've been blessed. Uh, if you look over my shoulder here, my little backdrop, uh, I've, I've had it going on with a lot of things that I didn't think I'd ever get to accomplish. So um, I can be happy with how it's, how it's going. And you, I always let people, uh, talk about their family. You've talked about your wife, you've talked about your daughter, anything else that you want to share, uh, about the two of them? Well, you know, my wife, uh, has had some historically awful back issues. Mine are nothing compared to what she's had and what she's had to put up with. Uh, and she's just the greatest fighter that you'd ever want to be around uh she battles it every day um she again she she raised our daughter right um um, and she's the mother of two dogs too which you know make us all smile around the house uh (laughs) and and it's just uh i'm anxious for the time and not right away but i'm anxious for the time that it'll just be the two of us with the two dogs and you know rachel popping in and out of the house whenever she wants and then um, you know, my daughter, uh, it, it gets me all misty eyed that, you know, she's going to graduate from K. She graduated actually in December, but she's going to walk in May and, uh, get her degree and, and, uh, 
you know, the fact that she's even remotely interested in working in sports and she's already done a couple internships for the chiefs and she interned for Chris Tyson over at KU and sports information. Just the thought that uh, she might want to keep this name going in sports somewhere, uh, you know, makes my heart go pitter patter. So uh, yeah, um, she got a Super Bowl ring, didn't she? She got one and uh, got a little cocky. Thought she might get a second one, which would have matched my total number of World Series rings. <laughs> it, it would have taken her only two years to get what it took me forty three to get a hold there you, of. There you go. All right, last question. I always like to ask this question to my guests, and and then they say, "Well, what do you mean this or this or this?" And my answer is yes. So, what is your legacy? Wow. Um, Wow. I, I, you know what? Um, I'm going to have to go back to wherever I was before, whatever I was doing, um, try to do it a little bit better than the guy before you and try to leave whatever you did uh, in a better place than it was when you got there. I think that's always going to be, that's still going to be my drive, even at my advanced age. Uh, um, you know, I want people to, I want people to know and think that, uh, I was there for all sides of it because when you do what me and all the other PR people in all sports do, um, we have that fence post stuck right there where there's two sides of the fence and you're right on top of the fence um, where you've got to answer to your GM and your baseball operations people and your manage upper management people, ownership and that, and you still got to come and the players and the manager and on the other side of the fence, people like yourselves and all the TV stations and the radio stations and the talk radio stations and the, the requests for interviews nationally and things like that. Um, your job is to get your team as relevant as possible, whether they're playing well or not playing well, and not let people forget that uh, there's a franchise of wherever I worked during that time, and now it's Kansas City. So if I can handpick my legacy, I want everybody to know or to think that I tried, you know, that I tried to be accommodating. I tried to be good at what I did. I tried to uh, do it with a smile on my face and I, I tried to enjoy life as best I could. And, and uh, that sounds like you're packing a lot into a legacy, but if you can literally have fun, make a living and look back on it and say, you had a blast doing this, and I mean, I defy anybody to have a better legacy than that, because that's that's been my goal since day one. I've always tried to have fun, um, maybe some years more than others. But then I got older and married and had a daughter <laughs> <laughs> and 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 enjoy the job. And, you know, there's there's always days you're going to get upset at work. It doesn't matter where you work. Um, things are going to happen. They're just going to put you in a, one of those moods. But uh, if you can get up and walk away and say that, you know, you tried every day and, and you did the best you could, hey, you know, I, I can put my head on a pillow that night and know I did that. Well, I, I can tell you, honestly, baseball is better for the 43 years you've been involved. And I hope it hope it continues. I hope you don't plan on retiring until I do. So th thank you very much for joining me and, and I look forward to seeing you at the ballpark the next homestand. Appreciate it, David. Thanks so much. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. 
You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time. <laughs>